Welcome to Tauri's Community Church. We hope this talk helps you in figuring it out because we believe that when people discover truth and love, they are able to face life in a different kind of way and come alive. If this talk is relevant for you and you wish to discover more, please head over to tauraisecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. And with that, we hope you enjoy today's talk. Well, good morning, everyone. It's fantastic to see you all. It's great to see you all, especially on a Sunday like today, in which we're second week of masks. The weather's wet. It's the middle of the holidays still. So I think you guys all deserve a congratulations just for turning up today. So well done. And for those of you that are online, as Sharon said, it's great to see you all. Um, I'm reminded of what Paul said when he urges not to give up doing those things which are good. And gathering together is one of those things which are good. And so well done. Everybody, it's fantastic to see you all. So last week, Talia started off our series about dining room faith, in which she spoke really well about how the table, about how eating and drinking is central to the kingdom of heaven, about how it's central to the ways of Jesus, how Jesus came, and one of the things that he came doing was he came eating and drinking. The Gospels, the, the, uh, the accounts of Jesus' life, they're almost entirely about either Jesus going to a meal having a meal or just leaving a meal. <laughs> like Food and drink are just pervasive throughout the Gospels. So today what I'd like to talk to you about is this extension of hospitality. So last week, Talia gave that beautiful definition of hospitality, which is to love a stranger or the love of a stranger. But we get the word hospital from hospitality as well. And so there's something about hospitality which is good for us, it's good for me, it's good for you, it's good for your family. There's something healing about hospitality, there's something healing about food and drink, there's something healing about dining room faith. And that's what I'm pleased to share with you this morning. Uh, so a number of, you guys, a number of you already know these stories because I only get to live one life, so there's only so many stories in my life, so sometimes I have to regurgitate some of them, so I apologise. But at least now you know that I'm not just making up new stories all the time. But some of you would know, uh, I've spoken quite freely about when we moved to Adelaide, about how, for the first six months in particular, that was a real challenge for me personally. It was a real challenge. Like, at, at times, I wasn't very healthy in those first six months that we moved over there. Part of it's to do with that stage theory stuff that we spoke about back in November, where there's different seasons of life and how resting with your own will and with God's will. Part of it's to do with uh, some things I had to learn about identity, about learning that my, I'm more than just the things that I do, and so when those things that I do are taken away, so for me... When I'm not around a soccer club where I know everybody, when I don't have a job which I create um, value from, when I'm not around a community of believers who I'm connected with and all these types of things, like who am I when it's just me and it's just Eric and we're walking alone on a beach and I'm unemployed <laughs> and I've got no friends and I've got no money, like who am I then? Am I still the same Jono that I believe that I was six months prior when I was in Launceston with all this great support? And so some of you, no doubt, are in that same position where maybe you're wrestling and grappling with some of those same answers in life and you feel unhealthy. And there's lots of dynamics to health. There's lots of things that make up our well-being. Like with our physical health, we think about it. There's, our physical bodies need sleep, they need food, they need water, they need, all, they need exercise, right? Exercise, everybody. <laughs> they need all these types of things. So the same thing makes sense for our spiritual needs or our well-being needs and that our health and our well-being is multifaceted. And so hospitality and what we're talking about this morning, dining room faith, is one of those pieces, but it's a really, really important piece. So when we were in Adelaide, I really struggled for a time. And the, the part that I struggled with was that I wasn't 
doing meals, I wasn't connected with people around the table, I wasn't enjoying dinner or lunch or breakfast or whatever it was with friends. So for the first few months, we tried to find a church and we sort of bumped into a church and the church services were nice and we'd be going along to there, but we tried to be like those refugee-type Christians where you're the last one in the door and the first one out, <laughs> so you don't have to connect with anybody. I know there's a few of you guys here today like that too. But that's what we were like. We tried to keep everybody at an arm's length, I suppose, and we, we sort of had that thing of like, oh, we just can't... We held everyone at arm's length, but then at the same time, we'd have that superiority complex of, oh, we just can't find anybody that's like us. <laughs> I just can't find anybody that can be my friend because everyone's so distant, they're so weird, they're so strange, or that they have this or that wrong with them. But really, it was a me problem. And then uh, that church that we were going to at the time, they had a real culture of gathering together. So there'd be, there'd be several church services per week that you'd sort of be expected to attend to. So... Here at Tarace, our community is that we do it once a week. Sunday morning, light and easy, nice and bright. And then we go about our weeks and we have a, a, a theology and a faith which lasts us Monday through Saturday, right? At this church that we're going to, there would be several services on the Sunday and you're expected to sort of back, back up and go to several of them, even if they're just a replica service. But then there'd also be a service on the Friday night that you'd go to and once you, start, you joined team and became part of the church, there'd be a Wednesday night team service or team meeting, but the team meeting was just another church service. <laughs> so over the course of a week, you'd be expected to go to three or four church services. So we're going to lots of large gatherings, and large gatherings are really healthy. Like when Erica and I were in Hobart, we weren't going to many gatherings, large gatherings, for a number of different reasons, but that's a different story. And in a different way, we were unhealthy because of that. But in Adelaide, I was definitely unhealthy because I wasn't connected to people around a table, around a meal. I was lonely, I was angry. I'm not normally an angry person, but I was just forever angry. I kept remember Eric and I would just be walking along this beautiful beach down at Brighton at sunset, and I'd just be snapping at her all the time. I'd be irritable, I'd be unhealthy physically, I'd be focused on the wrong things. And then over time, I eventually found some friends, and we formed a bit of a group, and we sort of hung out a bit. Ethan, do you want to throw that picture up? So this is me and some of the, it's not a terrible, oh, not a great photo, it's a terrible photo. But for me, that sort of pictures what our group was about. Um, these are some of the guys that I met through church. And our, we got into this habit of, we'd go and climb Mount Lofty or do something similar to that on a Saturday morning, and then we'd gather and ha we'd have breakfast together. And these guys here, even though I'm terrible at picking up the phone and talking to them, like I haven't speak, spoken to some of those guys in three or five years, I don't reckon. Like, there's one there that, I, that was down here last year who you all met. I know that I could call up any single one of those men there and how I could say, look, I need you here in Launceston tomorrow, and that, they'd drop everything and they'd come here. They're, these are wonderful people. But the thing about these people and the connection that they made to me and how they made me so much healthier was that it wasn't through doing extra Bible studies, although we did do some Bible studies. It wasn't through the large gatherings, although we went to the large gatherings. But it was simply just through the mystery and the wonder and the magnificence of sitting around a table weekly and having meals together. But that, that picture, I love that picture because everyone in that photo is so different. We're so different. We're so diverse. Like this man down the front here, He's a music teacher, a classical music teacher. He plays in the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra. The next man along there, he's a refugee from Africa. He fled Africa with his family from war. And by the time he arrived in Australia, he spoke five languages. Five languages. 
The next man along there, some of you met him last year when he came down here. He's a tree arborist. Last, uh, 18 months ago, he fell from a tree 10 metres high. He should be dead. He fell from a, a, a tree 10 metres high and has got nothing more than, had nothing more than a pulled groin. <laughs> it's incredible. But he's a tree arborist. And then there's me, and at the time I was at this photo, I was working in health. And then the next person along there, he's a, a computer programmer, right? <laughs> the person that took the photo here, he's a, he's a dad. He's the only dad of the group, and he's a, an IT worker, a computer IT worker. And so we've got these people from all these diverse backgrounds you wouldn't think that would have anything in, in common. And yet, there's something beautiful that happens when you choose to gather around a table and have a meal, and it is very regenerative for our soul. It is good for our well-being. It is healthy for you and for I. It's very, very healthy for us. There's a, a quote by a man called... Uh, I think it was Michael Sweet. I think we've got this one on the slide. Next one there, Ethan. And he said, an untabled faith... Oh, sorry, we, I've done a spelling error there. I'm sorry, I've stitched you up there, mate. It's supposed to... It's, oh, no, it's right. I just can't see it from this far away. It's an untabled faith is an unstable faith. And I think that's very, very true. An untabled faith is an unstable faith. It's very true. You see, when we don't connect with one another around the table, we find that we become very, very unhealthy individually and collectively as a group. But some of you might be sitting here today and going, what does this matter for me? Like, I don't really have a faith. It's not about faith, but it's more than just faith, okay? This applies to everywhere, right? It's so much bigger than that. You see, if we don't gather with one another around the table and around the meals, like what Jesus um, set an example for us to do, it's unhealthy for all of us. There's some research which looked into how often people eat around a meal nowadays, because I think it's something that we do less and less and less often. And it found that uh, over the last 30 years, there's been a, a decrease in the amount that we sit around together around the, the meal and have a family meal with one another, whether it's just our own family or whether we invite other guests into our home. So they, the researchers think that about, uh, on average, a family would meet around a table three times a week for 20 minutes. And of those three times a week for 20 minutes, about half of those families are also watching TV at the same time. And they reckon about 30 years ago, it would have been normal for, to be sitting around the table about five times a week for about 60 minutes without the TV being on. There's some other research that came out. It's, oh, sorry, it's absolutely everywhere, but there was this beautiful article in The Atlantic, which is an American um, paper, and it summarised so much of the research about what happens when you sit down to have a family meal, and not surprisingly, all these markers of health improve when we sit down at a family meal. They found that for children, children thrive when there's family meals happening. They thrive, so their academic performance goes up. They found that there's less teenage pregnancy, that there's less drug and alcohol abuse, there's greater mental health, there's greater physical health. Basically, any outcome that you can think about, they found that there was a correlated effect to how often they gathered down for the quality and quantity of family meals, both their individual family, but also the the extended church family as well, or societal family, I suppose, is what you could call it as well. Uh, for those of you that have been around youth group, you'd know that, for me, the most important part, the most valuable part, is the family meal at youth group. <laughs> it's not the message, it's not the games, it's not the small groups, it's none of that. For me, the most important part, the part that we try so hard to make happen every single week is the family meal. 
And I tell you what, it's like absolute, it's just chaos. <laughs> it's absolute chaos trying to wrestle these kids just to come and sit down and have a meal together. You'd think coming and sitting down and eating pizza together and just chit-chatting would be so, super easy. But for these kids, it's just such a foreign concept. It's such a weird concept that you'd come and sit down and eat with one another that they just find it so hard to participate. The thought that you don't leave the table until everybody else at your table has finished eating is just its like trying to speak a different language. In 2019 in particular, we had a, a, a dynamic at Youth Group where our youth program was even more wild, it was even more chaotic, we had even more what you'd probably call street kids. At the moment, we did a, a survey back in December and we found that about 21% of the youth that come to our youth program come from a, a background of child protection. So they come from highly traumatised family backgrounds a lot of the time. Back in 2019, I reckon that would have been much higher. Like, maybe not that specific statistic, but in terms of the amount of kids that we had from dysfunctional family backgrounds, and, or another way of saying it, a lack of actually sitting down and having a family meal together would have been so much higher. And you know what? Those kids don't, aren't engaged, or for the most part, aren't engaged with this community any longer, but I still know what most of them are up to, and they aren't doing very well. Like, I know that some of them ended up getting pregnant, <laughs> and so they're now they're teenage mums. Others are selling drugs in town. You can go into the mall and you'll see them. Others have been expelled from several schools. Like, none of those street kids are doing very well, and my heart just breaks because I just sort of think, where on earth in society are you going to find someone who extended an invitation to you to do dining room faith and to come around for a family meal? Where on earth are you going to experience just the healing hospitality that happens when we share a family meal? I propose to you all that over the last 2,000 years, sitting down for a family meal is something that we've done less and less and less. And I don't think I'd have any pushback from anyone in this room. But I think it would still be really worthwhile if we traced what Jesus set out to do initially around eating and drinking, and then if we traced it through to now so we can see perhaps just how much we've lost and how much is there for us to regain and to re, um, replenish our lives. So let's start with John 13, the Last Supper, the most famous meal in all of human history, I'd probably say. So for the first five verses here, we, we see the scene of Jesus sitting down and he's receiving hospitality. Remember how last week, how Talia shared about how when you give hospitality, you don't necessarily have to always host, but hospitality, there's always a giving and a, a receiving, like you can do both together. And so at this family meal where Jesus is sitting down in this intimate setting with his disciples, with his apprentices... He sits down and they have a meal. He gets up and he famously takes off his outer robe and he wraps that towel around his waist and he stoops down low with a basin of water and he starts to wash the feet of his friends. Famous, famous image, a famous, famous picture. And then we skip ahead to verse 12 here and we might just read this. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he said, Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. This part's important. He says, I set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I propose this morning, church, that we think about that line there in a greater context than just the feet washing, but rather than the entirety of the room, the entirety of the meal. Because in this meal, we see the image of communion, which is the sharing of a meal, Right? 
And it's this, the gift of hospitality. It's the fact that Jesus once again was found eating and drinking with his friends. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Now, you know these things, you'll be blessed if you go and do them, if you go and obey, if you go and practice what I preach, if you go and do them. And so then what do we find? If we turn our Bible just a few more pages to the right, right, we find this exact same group just a couple of weeks later, six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks later, we find them doing as what Jesus did. We see them practicing what Jesus preached. They see them uh, replicating what Jesus did. Thank you. If we could skip ahead to Luke, uh, Thank you. We see this picture of the early church. So we see this thing that Jesus started continuing on. And this is a passage that's obviously near and dear and intimate to us as a community of believers, right? It's intimate to us as a church. It's where we get so much of our identity from. And let's read it, hey? They devoted themselves. So this is a picture of the early church, if you have never come across this before. So this is what the first church looked like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and the possessions to give to anyone who had need. Um, They continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there are three occurrences in this scripture, in this picture of the early church. There are three occurrences of them sitting down. There are three references of them sitting down and having a family meal. There's not three references of anything else. There's not three references of a big church service. There's not three references of preaching. There's not three references of worship. There's not three references of just about anything else. 2,000 years ago, they didn't have Microsoft Word where you could highlight or put it into a different colour or bold it or anything like that. So what the authors did, if they wanted to make a point and if they wanted to make a point really loud and really clear, they would use repetition. And so three times, they make sure to highlight the fact that the early church ate together. The family meal was the centre of the church. In fact, in those days, the church would meet on a Sunday night and they'd meet around a dinner table. It wasn't that they did dinner before or that they did dinner after. It wasn't that dinner was a side part of church. It was that they came and they gathered around the table and they literally sat and they had a meal together and that was church. We see this again through all the epistles, through all the letters of the New Testament. We constantly see that the church was meeting in people's homes. And so if we trace the origin of Jesus' pattern, we see that so much of it happened around the table. We see the early church doing likewise, then we see the church throughout the Mediterranean doing likewise. And then this is where things start to change. So for the first four centuries, the church was persecuted, right? Let's think about the architecture of church. The church was persecuted, so they couldn't do big buildings. They couldn't draw attention to themselves like that. It was an underground church network. So they used to meet together in one another's homes. They used to sit down around a table and therefore the table, the family meal, was the gravity of the community. It was the centrepiece of church. This is where they ate. This is where they did communion. This is where everything happened. After about the fourth century when Christianity was legalized, <laughs> right? all of a sudden the, the European world started to build these beautiful buildings these gorgeous buildings, these cathedrals to, so that worshippers could gather together and could do their large gatherings in a beautiful setting. And so this table was sort of packed up a little bit and it was sort of replaced. For those of you that have been to Europe, you would, 
no doubt have walked in some of these beautiful cathedrals that are there, often they're shaped like a cross. And the thing about these cathedrals is that when you go inside, the acoustics are crazy, like you can barely hear yourself think. The sound bounces off every single wall in there, and so what would happen is you'd come along to church, like I'm going to use the word church, you'd come along to church but there'd be no preacher because you couldn't hear them, you couldn't understand what they're saying because what they'd say would bounce ten times. So what you'd do is you'd come to church and it would be in Latin. You wouldn't understand a word of Latin, but you'd come to Latin. You'd come to Latin. You'd come to church and the service would happen in Latin. And what had happened was that the table had been packed up away. It was no longer the centerpiece. And in its place, instead, was the altar. The communion vessels, right? Candles, a little drink of wine the bread, the sacred sacraments, right? And so that proceeded for the next 1,200 years up into the 16th century. And then in the 16th century was the printing press, right? So all of a sudden, the Bible was translated into every tongue. And so you could go down to your local church and now you could hear somebody actually communicate what the Word of God was actually meant. And you could actually read the Word of God if you had literacy. And you actually had a, a grasp on the ways of Jesus, and so church buildings again changed because now all of a sudden you had to, to be able to understand what the preacher was saying. And so instead of being all about the altar, so we've gone from the big loaf of bread to the small piece of bread to no bread. It was all packed away, or not so much packed away, just put aside. And instead from about the 16th century onwards, the altar was replaced with the pulpit. And that's all of a sudden we started putting all the chairs so that everyone could see in a straight line and see the preacher and understand what the preacher's saying. So you can come and you can understand what the Word of God is. And then about the turn of the, the last century, around 1900, give or take a little while, the church changed for the fourth time. This time it changed because we, all of a sudden we entered into the entertainment age. Urbanisation meant that we had free time. It meant that we lived in larger communities. It meant that all of a sudden we had access to things like radios, music, there were more instruments, there were TVs a little while later. And so all of a sudden, society went on this new wave, new surge of seeking out entertainment. And so church changed yet again. And so churches became, uh, took over old abandoned warehouses. Churches took over old theatres. All of a sudden, the stage, empty of the table, empty of the altar, empty of the pulpit became the main thing because you had to fit in all of these musical instruments because you had to fit in the show. You had to fit in so that everyone could see what the preacher's doing on the stage. The stage had to be raised up. And so over the last 2,000 years, just through simply just practicality and church tradition, our faith has evolved so, so far from what Jesus' original pattern was. I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm not adding value to this. I'm just stating a fact and just telling the story or telling the narrative because there are certain strengths in, that come through doing a, a, you know, a church service like this. But what I'm merely highlighting is the fact that perhaps we have neglected the table, perhaps we've neglected the meal, and as a result, our untabled faith has become an unstable faith. But I don't think it's restricted just to the church either. You see, in 2020, Erica and I, we bought our first home. And I was so excited. I love our little home. It's a simple little home. It's down in the garden. It's in a new subdivision. And we just love it. 
We just love it. But last year I was driving home late one night and there's still a lot of houses being erected around us and you're not really sure what's sold and what hasn't sold. And I was driving into our subdivision and down our street, I looked around and I thought, you know what, I don't even know who lives here. I don't know which houses have been finished. I don't know which houses are empty, which houses are full. I don't know which houses have got singles in it, which houses have got families in it, which houses have got elderly in it, which houses have got disabled in it, which houses have got babies in it. I don't know, because from the street, every single light is off. Think about it as you drive through your neighbourhood, especially if it's a new neighbourhood. From the street at night time, there's very, very few lights on. You see, 30 years ago, in your neighbourhood, houses were built where there was a front porch. And people used to sit out on the porch. And the, the house was constructed in a way that when you went through the front door, the first room that you'd often enter into was the living area. And the centre of the living area would have been the coffee table. And you'd gather together and you'd... You'd sit there, and from there, you'd, you'd be aware of the community around you. You'd be aware of the family meal around you in the neighbourhood. You'd see when your neighbour came home in the day. You'd, you'd know when um, the family up the road were walking the dog or the dog had gotten loose. You would know when the kids from the, uh, the community were on their bikes and riding up and down the streets. But the way that we've designed through architecture, the way that we've done our houses now is very different. Like, if you come to my house... You come in the front door and you come down a corridor and you, all the bedrooms are off to the side and then you come out to the back of the house. It's a retreat from the street. And so that when you come out to the back of the house, it's, you're in your own castle. The people in the street no longer know that you're home. You come out to the back of the house and now you're into the living room. Now you're into the area where there's the lights on at the night time because this is where the people dwell. But what you'll find is that in my house, at least, I hope yours isn't like mine, but in my house, the coffee table is no longer the centrepiece. In my house, the entertainment console is the centrepiece. I dare say that each of you, as your TVs have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, they've become more and more important for the function of the room. You know what? Rollheiser's got this beautiful quote. Can we throw this one up, Ethan? He says, Our deepest greed isn't money, but experience. We have an insatiable itch inside of each of us which is fanned into flame by our entertainment-obsessed culture. I truly believe that we are addicted to escapism, that we are addicted to entertainment, and entertainment's our form of escapism. We choose to flee from being available to doing proximity, a family meal, with either with our flesh-and-blood family, because, you know, I need to scroll Instagram. We flee the opportunity to invite our neighbours around or invite our friends around because, you know, I'm just really tired from my big week at work and I just need to zone out and just escape into my Netflix series. I think our entertainment obsession, which just grows stronger and stronger because of the desires and the way that society is structured, I think it means that we've neglected the table and our untabled faith has become an unstabled faith. But if I trace back the origins of our faith, I see Jesus living a different way in which he valued and he esteemed doing a family meal around a table. And so, my friends, the, the invitation is very, very simple today, and we're not far from finished. The kids have done phenomenal to last this long for such a boring person. But the invitation is so simple, and that is, would we practice hospitality with one another and would we set aside time to have a family meal, both with each other and also with the wider world outside of these four walls.
Because the beautiful thing about when we do is, is that we both give and receive the gift of hospitality. And this is what I've learned. And this is the promise, I suppose, for you, that as you give hospitality, you will receive so much. You're going to receive a far more beautiful faith. What I learned through that time in Adelaide was that people get very burnt out on the large gatherings. People get very burnt out on the idea that spirituality has to happen in a large gathering and there's only two or three emotions which are allowed, which is excitement, joy, and just some sort of awe. In anticipation, I suppose, would be the other one. I think the wider church, I think our church does very, very well to know that there's more emotions to the church and more emotions to spirituality than that. But I think the result of that is that people end up church hopping because they've burnt out and they're constantly seeking the new wave of excitement. And if that's you today, I'm here to free you from that and to talk to you about this beautiful thing that Jesus talked about, which was this dining room faith, and you don't have to live a burnt out spiritual life any longer. So as we incorporate our eating together into our faith, I promise you it will become far more beautiful. Almost every single one of my greatest highlights in working with young people has happened around a meal. It's almost never been through speaking on platform, I can tell you that. But the other thing that will happen is you, that you'll receive as you start to offer hospitality to others is that you'll have such greater connections, such greater relationships both with your kids, with your spouse, with other people in this room, but also with the world from the outside as well. Like over here, Dave and Kate, my beautiful, wonderful friends, I've only really connected with these guys over recent months and almost every single time it's been because we've just shared a meal and they're some of my best friends. Like They're beautiful people. I can't imagine how going back to what life was like in those first few months of Adelaide where I didn't truly know anybody because you can't truly know somebody through simply attending a large gathering. And for those of you with families, with children, as you invite others into your home for a family meal, you invite them to participate in your missional outpost, right, in the kingdom of God. You get to invite them into participating with you in the great work of evangelism. You get to invite them to participate with you in God's work. And it doesn't have to be fancy. All it has to be is a meal and just sharing life. That's all it is. And so can I encourage you this week, don't delay. Don't go, oh, COVID, I'm not going to have anyone over to my home. (laughs) I'm not going to go out for coffee. This week, would you challenge yourself to have a a family meal with another set of believers or someone from outside of the church? And Would you... Just have a go at it and see what happens. Some of you, though, need to stop being so flaky (laughs) and turning everyone down at the last moment with that last-minute text message, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't make it tonight. Some of you let this be your challenge that this week when someone invites you to not give up on it. Because you know what? There are people in this room that are terribly lonely. Sometimes we think loneliness is a plague that afflicts the outside world. There are people in this very room to your left and to your right that are terribly lonely. They would love nothing more than to share a meal with you. Sometimes we hesitate because we think we're uncool or they're a single or we're a family, they won't like us or it'll be too awkward, but it's not like that at all. Can I just encourage you, let's have a meal with someone this week. I'm all finished there, so what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to pray and then I'd love it if you guys just had a conversation with each other around your table before we head off. Very, very simple. And um, it's great to see you all, especially you guys online. All right, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for today. Jesus, I thank you for the the pattern that you set before us, the example you set 
in which the table truly is central to your kingdom. And God, I pray that as we gather around your table for your meals this week, we'll understand that we're conversing not just with one another, but also with you. And God, I pray that we might just be richly blessed as we go about doing so. Father, I pray that there might be connections in our world where it becomes very easy for us to extend an invitation to people inside this room and to people outside this room. And God, I just pray that as we are obedient to your ways, that we might all experience the wonderful richness that comes from faith. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We really hope you enjoyed this talk. We've created a free resource for this series, which is available for you over at towerracecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. You'll find links in the description. We are praying for you. Have a great week.